We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't, uh, because we'll certainly hear about it if we don't talk about it. Oh, you didn't talk about Dwight and his his mid-range jump shots that he's hitting now. Yeah, hey, awesome. me too. Awesome. It's really helping. That, yeah, it's really adding some juice to this offense. He's, Let me he's tell you. them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it was beautiful to watch, and it helped us so much. Um, who cares? Who cares? He made my, against Miami too. He he has hit three he hit three in a row over the course of two games. The the spacing is is, is just you know the floor's really oh. opened up offensively. Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy yeah. all the space <laughs> they have now. You're listening to Buzz Beat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome in, everyone. This is episode 46 of Buzz Beat Radio. Um, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network, so make sure you check out AlmightyBaller.com for tons more uh, great content uh, from around the league. And then SportsChannel8.com, our good friends over there, are getting you geared up for ACC basketball season. Uh, they're actually in Charlotte uh, for the ACC championship game. Um, so if, if you don't follow them, jump on Twitter and do that, at sportschannel 8 uh, and like I said, with the big game tonight, which you won't hear this episode till Monday, but they are, I know, in Charlotte covering the ACC championship game tonight. They do a great job with ACC sports, uh, really all sports in, in North Carolina. So give them a follow. Um, on that note, we, we got two games we're going to dive into and we're going to talk about some some themes. You know, one of the biggest ones, obviously, Horns without Kimba here in these back to back losses at Toronto and at Miami. So we're, we're going to predominantly talk about those two games. But like I said, we're also going to talk about some some themes that have popped up here in the last few games without Kimba. All right. On that note, Richie, what is going on? What's going on? Yeah, I was originally not supposed to do this episode because I was uh, a little busy this week. I know there was only two games. Uh, I was not able to catch the Miami Heat game at all. And right before we recorded this, I was able to get a quarter and a half in. So I, I realized that they lost last night. So I'm not going to be much of a help when it comes to the end of the game, when it comes to that Miami game. But I'm doing pretty good, Spencer. Thank good. you. Good to hear, and I'm, and I'm glad you chose to jump on with us this morning. Yeah, you texted us last night. You're like, I don't know, guys. I, I might not be able to do this one. Might just record you guys talking. It, it, it wasn't going to be the same without you. I mean, no. come on. I was, it was worrying <laughs> me, so I was I was relieved when I heard you were going to jump on this morning. BG, what's happening, man? Are you, are you hanging in there after <laughs> watching these Hornets last two games? Yeah, the, the last two games have been rough, but I'm hanging in there, and uh, no, nah, I'm lo- low on sleep, but uh, – you know, that's basketball season for you right now. So uh, I'll be I'm heading to Durham later today to cover uh, cover the Duke game. May have to start filling out these scouting reports on Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter and uh, Trayvon Duvall and some of the other hot shot one and done type guys for the uh, the Blue Devils here. Well, um, consolation for you is that you get to watch Marvin Bagley and those other great freshmen right now on a regular basis. And the consolation for the Hornets is hey, they're trending towards the lottery. So you never know. <laughs> Um, <laughs> all right, well, let's jump in here. Uh, Hornets lose at Toronto on Wednesday night. 126-113 to 113 was really a, a pathetic defensive performance for a Charlotte team that <clears throat> really – I don't think 
this team has an excuse to be that bad defensively without Kimba. You know, offensively is a totally different conversation, but man, oh man, was it so, so easy for the best two players on the Raptors, uh, Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan combined for 66 points, I believe it was in this game. And I actually did a little film Twitter thread yesterday, you know, just pointing out how easy it was for DeRozan in this game, little to almost no resistance um, in allowing him to get to that elbow, you know, nail mid range area where he's just so, so good. It was it was really baffling to watch how easy the Hornets allowed him to get to his sweet spots. When he gets there, he's just too good with that mid-range shot, and he, he burned the Hornets. He scores, I think he scores 30. I think Lowry actually had 36. Lowry was 8 of 11 from behind the arc. It, it shocked me how easy it was for him. MKG really offered no resistance off the bounce, uh, not not funneling him one direction. DeRozan was able to get to either hand. Uh, I don't know, guys. I mean, that, that was the thing that jumped off to me the most. Let's start there. How easy it was for Toronto to get into their stuff. Uh, I, I just, th- there's no, I'll say this and I'll throw it to you, BG. There was no understanding of the personnel, which I think is probably more bothersome than the actual scheme. I think the drop scheme really, really hurt Charlotte in this game in, in terms of DeRozan's a very strong mid-range player and the drop scheme, you know, leaves the middle of the floor in pick and roll situations wide open where he's able to get to that area. But you still have to know your the personnel you're playing against. And when you're going against the, one of the best mid-range players, frankly, of all time, I don't know. It might not be a bad idea to like bring Dwight one or two steps closer to the pick uh, or, or make him go to his left and keep him on the sideline. Every time he touches it, it's just kind of unbelievable that there's just like, we don't care who we're playing. We're going to do this every single time. Yeah. Stuff was way too easy for DeRozan in this game. Uh, he was actually pretty good as a facilitator. And I should say Lowry was four of five and two of two on threes after a pass from DeRozan in this game. There was even one possession the Hornets ripped off a huge run to start the third quarter. What was it like a 17 to two, 19 to two run, something in that yep. Toronto ran a weave play for DeRozan. Like they, I mean, they've run this thing a, a billion times for him and it's a tough cover for Dwight to help on that. I, I'm, I'm not going to knock him too hard, but he was a few steps too back, too far back after dropping and DeRozan just walked up into a, into a, a mid range two, four point game. Next possession, uh, jump ball with MKG and, and Miles. Charlotte wins the jump, post-touch for Dwight, goes reverse, misses the layup. No one sprints back. DeRozan attacks, scores. Then the next possession, MC, uh, Lowry hits a three right in MCW's face. and It was a nine-point game, just like that. Yeah, this was a bad defensive performance for the Hornets. Yeah, one of their worst of the season. Um, yeah, they allow 125 points per 100 possessions, which is the second worst. Uh, defensive performance in terms of efficiency since the Knicks game uh, back in early November. So yeah, uh, rough, rough outing north of the border for the the Hornets defensively. So yeah, not not good. And to your point, Spencer, you know, with the drop defense that we have with with Dwight when he defends the pick and roll, it does play into DeRozan's hands because that that is where the gap is on that defense. It entices that mid range shot, but DeRozan is so so good from that spot that. Like you're saying, you wish that Clifford had changed up the scheme a little bit, knowing the personnel. But I don't think that's the way he operates. I I think it's our scheme. We run that scheme regardless of the opponent. I haven't really seen any differently to make me say that he will adjust on the fly. It just seems like this is our scheme. This is how we're going to play defense regardless of the opponent. And it plays into the hands of the players that actually do well in the mid-range. We're actually not allowing a lot of shots at the rim because of this scheme, but on the opposite end, if you have someone like a DeRozan who is so good in that area, uh, he's just going to feed all day in that area because there's a huge gap, a huge gap. So yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. I saw your little Twitter thread and it was definitely not surprising, but definitely an issue when it comes to this Raptors. Yeah, Richie. So to that note, the Hornets from a defensive perspective, you know, their profile looks, looks pretty good. They're number one in the NBA at allowing shots at the rim or, or limiting, I should say, right. shots at the rim, 30, 30.4% mid-range shots from their opponent coming at a clip of 35.7%, which is, is 18th in the league. It's right in the middle. 
the problem gets really where you get to the average, you know, teams are shooting against Charlotte at about 42%. I think it is from that mid range area. No, no, excuse me. About 40 and a half percent in the mid range area, bottom 10 in the NBA. So, and we've talked about this before it, I understand, like, I get it. I get that that's the, mo- the least efficient shot in basketball. So let's force our opponents to take mm-hmm. that shot as much as possible. But they are, they are so wide open because Dwight is is so deep, almost into the restricted area in many uh, situations, especially against DeRozan last night for whatever reason. Um, and, and so when the shot is that easy and you're giving up a high percentage, it does to a point have to make you think, should we just tweak this a little bit, right? And, and I'm not talking about like tearing the defensive strategy down and building it back up. Just like against certain players, mm-hmm. maybe we can whittle that mid-range efficiency number down from opponents like DeRozan, certain players just change the scheme a bit. Like why is Dwight sitting so low into the paint against a guy like DeMar DeRozan in that area when he's getting a, a, a screen and roll at the top or screen and roll or some kind of, you know, short pick at the elbow. I mean, you, you got to adjust to your opponent. I mean, come on. Right. This <laughs> is not right. This is, this is elementary stuff. I think that's the most frustrating part about it. The Raptors, just real quickly, they shot 49% from the mid-range. I mean, like, the mid if you let a team shoot that percentage from the mid-range, then all of a sudden the mid-range is a super efficient shot. You're getting basically one point per possession out of it. That's Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, like C.J. McCollum levels good. Well, I mean, another thing, it, it was in Spencer's little uh, thread on Twitter. If they're coming from the side, you have got to ice that. And that's one of those things that the Hornets did not do. The, the two players were not on the same page icing that that pick and roll, and they were able to get back to the middle, back to the sweet spot of uh, a DeRozan there. So, you know, when they're coming for a side pick and roll, the guard or whoever the wing is that's guarding the ball handler has got to show them back to the sideline. They got to face up, back, and force them back to the sideline. But that's not what happened on several occasions. I don't know how many times it happened, but again, the personnel dictates your play. Typically, Hornets do ice pick and rolls on the sideline. It just didn't happen yeah, they, on a couple occasions. They, they always do, Richie. I mean, that's a staple of their defense. It, it's a staple of most good defenses mm-hmm. in the NBA, to me, I would say. And it, th- there was a repeat offender. Well, really, I only got one on film. I believe there was another occasion that I didn't capture, actually, on film on the thread I did on Twitter. But Nick Batum, he... I actually want to let's this is going to be one of those themes I want to talk about. I just want to talk about Batum as a player and his effort level, attention to detail, et cetera, et cetera, here for a minute. But on numerous occasions in Toronto, he doesn't he, he doesn't get the when he gets a guy on the sideline, number one, he doesn't adjust his body. So gets his chest parallel to the sideline, which he should. I mean, that's what he should do before Marvin or Dwight whoever's man is coming to set the screen is barking out orders. Like Batum should already know I'm angling my body that way. That's just, that's again, it's a staple of Charlotte's defense. He's not doing that. And on the occasion, actually, if you go back on Twitter and watch the video I, I showed, I think Marvin was the one who's dropping into ice position. Batum is not angling his body towards the sideline, which he should be. And then he looks back when the screen gets to him as if, well, I, I'm, I'm not hearing the call. I don't know where the screen's coming from. But what I don't understand is you're already supposed to be funneling the guy mm-hmm. towards the sideline. Like, so what, what call are you waiting on? Um, and he does it again. Uh, it gets beat, I think, by DeRozan, which I don't understand why we're having him card DeRozan in the first place. But he gets beat again. Uh, DeRozan gets to the middle for some running layup. It, it, it's this stuff with Batum. He has go watch film on him when a, a shot goes up from the opponent. Nick Batum is worthless when it comes to defensive rebounding. I mean, just literally makes no effort on a very, very consistent basis to check out anyone on the opposition and just watches. He just stares. It gave up a few offensive possessions last night in Miami, and it gave up a ton in Toronto. Toronto got 11 offensive rebounds uh, on Wednesday night, and it, it sliced the Hornets up when it came to their, you know, their chances to win that game. But I, I'm really perturbed in Nick Batum's effort level already. Here we are, two or three weeks, you know, after his return, and he's yeah. just right back to what he's always been. I just, I don't enjoy watching him play basketball. And if you've listened to this show, there should not be anything new because 
I've, I've said this for a long time about Batum. He's overpaid. The contract's terrible. He doesn't give enough effort. Um, and he's just, he's not a good fit next to a guy like Steve Clifford. I, it's, it's perplexing to watch him play basketball at times. Cause he's just like, he's not out there mentally. Mm-hmm. And you also should think too, against Toronto, like you should want to ice at all of those side pick and rolls because it's not like they have Draymond green or some amazing playmaker along the front court. Like if they have to throw the ball to Valanciunas or Ibaka or Nagara or whomever in space, like that's fine or Pirtle, whatever, like that's. You're okay. You don't necessarily mind those guys playing playing four on three for a tick because again, they're not they're not some amazing playmaker or whatever. And yeah, it should also be noted too that I mean, the Hornets were just crushed on the glass in, in this game. What did they give up? An offensive rebound rate of thirty four percent to the Raptors. I mean, that's highest of the year. yeah highest of the year I think for for, for a Steve Clifford team. I mean, that's that's just amazing. Um, and then, and if you're playing Dwight Howard big minutes, I mean, that's something that just can't happen because. One of your advantages has to be you clear 80% of those rebounds. And if you're not doing that, uh, that's that's kind of a red flag. It should also be noted, too, that since Batum has gotten back, and I, and I know he's trying to work his way back from injury and it's tough, but 22% on threes, 37% shooting from the floor. Um, yeah, I mean, he's averaging 10 a game, but it's it's not exactly the most efficient double-figure scoring for the Hornets. Right. Yeah, yeah and, right. And, and to your point real quick, BG, sorry, Richie, um, like in the one play you're talking about, you know, Nogueira or, or, or Pirtle or, or even Valentinus for that matter. I mean, yeah. like if those guys are catching it in the short corner, in the middle of the floor, like make them make a play. That, that's, that's totally what cool. you want. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what you want. So one occasion, I, I did get this on film. So it, they they kind of isolate the one side of the floor. I think Lowry pitches it to Valentinus there at the elbow area or maybe a little south of the elbow. And DeRozan just comes off a little, you know, dribble handoff curl with Valanchunas to the middle. So MKG is kind of in lock and trail positions on his hip, does a great job staying right with him. And Dwight is just so he's so far south, almost like his heels on the restricted area. So DeRozan gets it with tons of space in front. Um, what's so what's the problem there with Dwight meeting DeRozan's right shoulder when he comes off that little handoff? And Valanciunas floating into the short corner area, rolling to the rim, whatever. If DeRozan wants to make that pocket pass, totally fine. Batum or Marvin, whoever it is, can come over baseline help and make that guy make a play. But to let DeRozan just just take that handoff and just zoom to the rim is is just unbelievable. I mean, we've got to be better than that when it comes to attention to detail and knowing who we're going against. And I'm not quite sure. I watched that play probably 15 times trying to figure out, is this like what Dwight is being instructed to do? Or is this Dwight just not being with us on that possession mentally? And I, I still can't tell you that I actually know the answer to that. And that's very, very frustrating because I just don't feel like we saw this kind of stuff fr- from a Steve Clifford Hornets defense in, in the past two seasons. And not that last season went excellent, but the attention to detail when, when certain guys are out there and, and it starts with Nick Batum and Dwight Howard's not far behind is it's just kind of comical and, and frustrating at the same time. But I don't know, guys, just not good enough. None of this defensive stuff is good enough. I think personnel does play a factor into this. And, and we've talked about this on previous episodes with Dwight, uh, just not having the ability to show hard and recover like a Cody Zeller did last year. So it's probably one of those things where Clifford just installs this defensive scheme with Dwight, regardless of opponent, and say, hey, regardless if this guy's a quick guy that's going to get around you or a guy that's good in the mid-range, you're going to drop regardless. Now, for the quick guy, it probably makes sense. Like, you have a quick ball handler that can get into the rim or to- towards the rim. It- it's going to make sense for Dwight to drop back but if it's it's a guy that can shoot the ball coming right off that screen in the middle of the floor then yes it's going to make sense for Dwight to kind of hedge hard but I, I think it's one it's personnel because of Dwight uh in, in a lot of situations it's just not a good idea for him to go that hard and another thing I think it, it might be just Clifford's scheme I just think it's a consistent scheme regardless of the opponent mm-hmm. yeah and I also don't think he wants Dwight having to make read I, I just don't know if Dwight's a guy you can trust to make reads on the fly so you just say Hey, 100 percent of the time, this is what you're doing. I I don't know. Again, we're not in the in the locker room. We can't. We don't know what the what absolutely they're trying to do on every single possession. But you might just say with Dwight, hey, it's easier to know this is where he's going to be and this is what he's doing every single time he's in some sort of DHO or pick and roll uh, coverage. But 
for a guy that praised, you know, Dwight Howard for his IQ, yeah. you know, yeah. when we when we traded for him, uh, you would think that he would give him a little bit more responsibility than just, hey, this is what you yeah. do all the time. But, yeah, you know, I, 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 cool. I, I agree with you there, Richie. I, I would push back a little bit, BG, on that. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. And if you just watch the film of why Dwight Howard, Howard play, I would agree with you in terms of like you got to like you really got to be realistic about what you can expect this guy to, to think on the fly and, and do defensively. But yeah, if we're going to praise him like that to be a high IQ defensive player and allow him to do things like early in the season, like switch and, and, and play up, uh, you know, on the ball in certain situations and, and, you know, and catch the ball away from the hoop on this other side. Like if we're going to kind of open, open it up for Dwight to do things that he hasn't been able to do in his previous stops and it has frustrated him, then why can't we ask him to, play a little closer to the pick and roll. Like, why, why can't we ask him to do these things? You know what I mean? So I, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I, I'm tired of these mixed messages with, with what we're hearing about who Dwight can still be as a player, because if we're going to say, well, eh, we really can't ask him to do all that, then let's stop saying, you know, and, and hearing from the team that, oh yeah, this high IQ defender that can, that can do all these certain things and, and bark out orders to his defense and the other end, you know, you you actually can't still feed it to him on the block and get an advantage and all this garbage. I mean, just what is he? You know, what are we going to – what is he as a player? How are we going to use him? And I, I just still think here we are, you know, over 20 games in, we still have no idea. All right. Well, let's do something positive here from this game. I thought Monk was better defensively. I th- Actually, the past two games, I really think he's made a jump uh, on the defensive end. He's getting over screens. He's clearly giving much more effort. Um, you know, if, if there's one silver lining to Kimba missing these few games, I think Monk has embraced the opportunity, uh, to get out there and, and really earn himself some minutes. And all of a sudden, you know, we haven't seen Dwayne Bacon. So maybe just maybe, you know, Monk has earned himself, uh, some minutes moving forward, even when Kimba comes back. What have you guys seen from Monk in these two games? I mean, I, I've really been impressed. I, I thought he, I, I think the only times he really gets into issues defensively is off ball. I think he he kind of has some of the Jeremy Lamb uh, ability to sort of just like check out uh, defensively. But I think when he's when when you're asking him to just sort of apply pressure on the ball, I think he is pretty good. I think he had I think he died on a few screens against the Heat Friday night, but overall doing better and certainly trying. I did feel bad for him in the third quarter against Toronto. MCW played like I think 11 minutes or something like that, and then. Yeah, the first possession he came in, he was asked to guard uh, like a baseline inbounds play. And uh, if I remember correctly, yes, yeah, uh, Van Vliet runs off staggered screens. Uh, Monk caught on them late to get out. Van Vliet drains a three. Uh, Monk tried to go under the screens. And I, I can't remember, but I, I, I'm sure Steve Clifford wasn't too stoked about that defensive possession. But no, I th- I've liked the bounce to his game. He, he shot the ball really well against Toronto. So did the, the bench in general. I thought the bench had a great offensive performance. Kaminsky, Lamb, Cody all, all played really well offensively in that game. But yeah, um, you know, I still think he gets into his own world a little bit too much offensively. You can just see sometimes he comes off those high screens and you're like, man, I can't, I just can't believe you that this team has a freelancer like this. That's just going to pull up yeah. from 25, 20. I don't dislike it. I'm not saying not do it. Uh, in fact, the, the, the gunner in me kind of likes it a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, no, I thought, I thought there was some good stuff from, from Malik the last couple of games and he even had a nice finish at the rim against Miami last night, right over bumpy Johnson. And that's not, I mean, finishing over Tyler Johnson off a little backup like that. I mean, that's, that's a pretty tough move and, and requires some athleticism. So this guy needs to see minutes. And even if he does have these growing pains I mean, he had a bad turnover against the heat last night. And he's going to die on screens occasionally, but you just, you got to let him figure it out in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, he, you know, Monk certainly hadn't lit the world on fire defensively uh, in the past two games, but you know, and, and you did a good job of kind of explaining that um, BG, but I've just more than anything, I've been more impressed with his effort. I mean, he, he yeah. struggles to move his feet. He Monk cannot move his feet um, and actually offer some kind of resistance and make the ball handler change directions. I mean, once he's beat, he's pretty much beat. I mean, that's the, clearly his biggest problem right now. You pointed out off the ball, he floats a little bit. He easily gets out of position. I think he's been better with that, but just fighting, you know, if he's going to have to guard the opposite, this, you know, the second unit point guard uh, for the other team, 
he's got to get better and more attuned to fighting over screens, which in this drop scheme is very important uh, for guys guarding the ball. And I think he's done a better job of that the past two games. I mean, he was melting on screens consistently, um, you know, for the better part of the minutes he got early in the season here Wednesday night. And especially last night, I, I really only counted one time where he just, you know, got pounded by a screen and completely lost his man. I think every other time he at least stayed attached to the hip and that makes it much easier on everybody else playing defense. We just want to throw out real quickly, Monk. Frank Lamb, they combined for 45 points on 32 field goal attempts, seven three-pointers, only one turnover. And with those three guys and Cody on the court, Charlotte scores uh, 1.3 points per possession. I mean, defensively, it was an issue. But those guys, gave, that that's uh, that's really good production out of, out of your bench, your second unit offense. And if that's something they could actually count on this season, it would be it would be huge for them. I'm not sure that's a thing they can reliably depend upon. But they play those guys really offensively had a nice game in Toronto. No kidding. And if you get a little bit more from your starters, uh, Michael Carter Williams, Nicholas Batum, um, you probably have a chance to win this game, even as bad as it was defensively. I mean, look, MCW. I, I want to give him some credit here. I mean, <laughs> when you're playing with Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Howard on the floor like there's no space in there and he you know he wants to drive the ball hard to the rim and and and, you know make his turkey there but there was no space but he missed a lot of bunnies open looks in this game MCW finishes one of 10 in Toronto Wednesday night I mean just just not good enough as a starting point guard and then Batum just I don't know I I don't I don't know what I what else I have left to say about him offensively I mean he, he he sees the floor well I guess uh, I think he's a terrible fit next to Dwight. Honestly, uh, I just don't, I just don't think. Yeah. Go ahead, Richie. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, some of his passes to Dwight last night in, in Toronto just are just not on point. So he he himself is not finding that synergy with Dwight. And yeah, he's still making the same mistakes offensively with his his bad turnovers. Uh, his shooting has not been great. I know he's never been a great shooter by any means, but his shooting is just not there. And for an offense that is missing Kimba, you're going to need shooting. And that's the biggest thing that I took note of, especially in that first quarter with Carter Williams, Batum, MKG, uh, Marvin and Dwight. There is no spacing and it gets clogged up and it's hard to get offense going towards the rim. And you're not going to unclog it unless you can actually stretch out the defense a little bit. And I just thought the offense was, was struggled a lot in that first quarter because we couldn't go towards the rim. I don't know how many shots we had at the rim for the Toronto game. But if I had to bet, it probably wasn't a lot because it was clogged up inside the lane, especially with those starters out there. And I feel like we don't have a player that's just a, a you know, a dead eye shooter. We did, we we need a player that just yep. is out there spacing the court, uh, like a Wayne Ellington or, or somebody. I mean, I just feel like that's something that is completely missing on this team. And um, and in a game like this where you're missing Kimba, you need shooting yeah. badly. I, I I definitely agree. I mean, to your point. And your point earlier too, BG, is just like the offense is really, really struggling, especially the starting unit. I actually think our best offense here in the past few games has been the second unit Mm -hmm. actually hitting up, like guys just getting wide and running the floor. And NCW, when he comes in there for a few minutes with the second unit, uh, or even Monk for that matter, just hitting up and getting some transition opportunities. MKG got a few when he was playing with his second unit last night. And then when Cody comes in, it's the early drag screen offense. Monk's a beneficiary there. Bacon, I think, made one, maybe two of those uh, in Toronto in only his five minutes on Wednesday night. And then lamb, I mean, he's great in drag screen situation where he can get to that mid range area, kind of read that, the, the, the dropping defender on either zoom by him or just pull up for that mid range. I mean, that's early offense, which the Hornets just so desperately need. Cause once they get to like the 12 to 14 second spot in the shot clock they're I mean, they're a duck on the pond. So, uh, I actually think that that second unit stuff has looked better than anything else for the Hornets offensively here in these past few games. And you're absolutely right, Richie. I mean, we have one of those guys, that dead eye shooter you're talking about, and that's that's Monk. But we just can't use him in that way yet because we can't freaking get healthy. And when, when we have been healthy, he's not playing. So, <laughs> so like, he's the only guy that I would label under what you know you were saying, the dead eye shooter. Yeah, and Richie, your eyes were not deceiving you. Charlotte takes just 17 field goal attempts at the rim against Charlotte. They, they make 11 of them, but just 17 compared to the 31 Toronto had. Just not enough. And, and it's interesting, too, though, because this was 
like profile wise, parts of this actually looked like a good game for the Hornets. They attempt 35 free throws, which is a ton. They make 30 of them, which is a ton. True shooting rate of 60% in this game. Charlotte makes 47% of their three-pointers, and Toronto attempts just 11 free throws in this game. That usually should be a recipe for a win, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, like the, the defense at the rim and the mid-range defense, like we talked about earlier, was just so extraordinarily bad that it made up the difference in, in those gaps there. And I should say, the Hornets shot a good number on threes, but they didn't attempt a lot. So just 19 attempts. So that's probably not enough either. Yeah, probably not, but I just don't think they – I don't know how they're going to manufacture more three-point attempts with Kemba out uh, and and starting Michael Carter-Williams unless he's just going to just chuck, you know, three or four during the game. But uh, You think it's a good idea? Should he do that? Do you think we should get out? I I think it's as good of an idea as as the idea to to dump it to Dwight three or four times a a game in the the paint. So, I mean, why not? Why not? Let's see if we can find something. I'm kidding there, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't uh, because we'll certainly hear about it if you don't talk about it. Oh, you didn't talk about Dwight and his his mid-range jump shots that he's hitting now. Yeah, yeah awesome. he made two. Awesome. It's really helping. That, yeah, it's really adding some juice to this offense. He's, Let me tell you. He squished them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it was beautiful to watch, and it helped us so much. Um, who cares? Who cares? It's Miami. Miami too. He he's hit three yeah. hit three in a row over the course of two games. The the spacing is 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 just you know the floor's really oh. opened up offensively. Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy yeah. all the space they have now. <laughs> With Dwight making those shots. All right, let's stop. Yeah. <laughs> this is terrible. Um. All right. Last night. This is by the way. This is where we've gotten to. Like we used to just scream at each other on the show about all this stuff, and now we're just joking about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, we're making we're making some progress. All right, last night in Miami, uh, Hornets jump out to a 16 to one run. I'm in the grocery store. <laughs> Actually, quick story. I'm in the grocery store, 16 to one run. I, I see the notification come come across my phone. Yeah, I knew I wasn't going to get home until the second half, and I just start laughing. Why? Because I knew that was that's not that's not going to last. I knew jumping out to a 16 to one run was probably the worst thing that could have happened to the Hornets last night because you knew it was all coming back to earth from there. As it did, the Hornets end up losing 105 to 100 in Miami. Uh, that's two straight losses. Now they're eight and 13, um, five games below 500 at this point. We can we can kind of dive into that conversation at the end of the show if you guys want to, because I do want to just. You know, this is the scenario we laid out last week on the show, and it has come to fruition. But let's uh, talk about this game for just a minute. Um, defense to offense in, in the in the very good start for the Hornets. Um, you know, I thought Miami missed some some easy looks, some open shots, but nonetheless, the Hornets took advantage of it. You know, I thought quickly the second unit came in and looked good. I really like Michael Kidd Gilchrist, BG, with this second unit. Uh, I think he gives them some defensive juice. I think you saw it last night. And then it gets, you know, Jeremy Lamb, those extra minutes with the starters, which I also think is really important. So I hope we see more of that moving forward, especially when Kimba returns. But yeah, I, I, those are the two notes really I had from that uh, from that first half for the Hornets, uh, which is a good and bad one. I think the biggest thing, positive, at least in the first half, because I did not see the second half uh, as the time that we're recording this, is, like you said, Spencer, the defense to offense. And that and that occurred in the Toronto game as well when we went on that 8-0 scoring run to begin the third quarter and the 19-2 run overall in that third quarter. The defensive energy was on full display and getting that ball and getting up out in transition. For a team that lacks spacing, sometimes it's hard to run offense in a half-court set, so it's good to get out in transition a little bit even if it's just a semi-transition kind of um, opportunity where there's a little bit more spacing inside the lane. Once when you kind of set things up in the half court with this lineup without Kimba, the, the spacing is, is not there. There's a lot of people that kind of bunch up on the court. And I, and I kind of noticed that in the first quarter. Uh, it was interesting to see the starters play for almost 10 minutes mm-hmm. together to start this game. And that I don't know if that was designed or, or what, or if it was just something that Clifford saw that they were going to keep him out there because they had that huge run. I'm not really sure. And then one thing about Monk, and I know that you guys are wanting to see more of him uh, and praising him. I'm still slowly warming up to this guy a little bit. I'm not going to talk about Donovan Mitchell here, but just 
Monk, <laughs> Monk, uh, he just has no filter shooting the ball. No filter. Yeah, and I don't even know if he realizes a shot clock above the basketball goal. I, I think that's not really a factor when it comes to him shooting the ball. So, uh, you know, he comes off these high pick and rolls, and, and he will just, if it's open, he shoots, regardless if there's 18 seconds left on the shot clock or four, le- four seconds left on the shot clock. So that's just one thing that I'm noticing with Monk. And I know that he's only 19 years old, and he's going to develop into a supposedly a better player and he offers a lot when it comes to off-ball shooting but IQ wise I think that he needs to realize that taking a shot with 18 seconds left might not be the best shot yeah the, my only thought because Richie I've had I've had the same like that that's my like baseline initial reaction to it when Monk starts to chuck a little bit but then kind of like Spencer was saying a second ago think about what happens when this offense does get to you know, under 10 seconds left on the shot clock. What does that clogged toilet look like for the, for the Hornets? So it, I'd almost rather take my chances with Malik taking that shot and making it, I don't know, 32, 33% of the time than the Hornets getting deep in the shot clock and trying to, trying to run some offense. But yeah, that, that 16 to one start was a little fluky. The Hornets start shooting five of six at the rim. And I think in that span of time, Miami was Oh five. And in like Spencer said, they, they missed some bunnies, right? The hoop. And then kind of at the end of that run, Nick Batum drove left, had a, had a pretty good looking, look in the, uh, look at the hoop, uh, missed the layup and Richardson went down. Josh Richardson went down and scored for Miami. And it just kind of felt like you're either going to blow the doors off them right now, or they're going to fight to get back into it. Cause Miami plays incredibly hard and they bomb threes and they don't, yeah. they don't, they don't care at all about positions. They just throw five dudes out there and they get after it. And as soon as the, I thought the second unit had some good moments this game, but just so many bad matchups all over the court. I mean, asking Jeremy Lamb to run around with Wayne Ellington, that's a nightmare. Asking Frank to stand with anybody on Miami's roster that's not named Kelly Olenek. I mean, having him guard Justice Winslow, that didn't work out so well on a couple of possessions. <laughs> and it just it, – it, it, I mean, there's no good matchup for him against Miami. The James Johnson, Justice Winslow – any of these sort of stretchier fours that they play, I mean, they're all going to be a, a, it's just, there's no home for, for Kaminsky. He wasn't even horrible last night, but some, some defensive miscues early in the game for him, no doubt. And again, you just knew Miami, they, they love to shoot threes. I thought their slash and kick game was really fun to, was really fun to watch. They play, what they, do, yeah. they, they play inside out, man. And then they drive it and they kick it out and they run a ton of dribble handoffs. They're, they're one of the top, top five dribble off dribble handoff offenses in the league. And that's when Olenek gets in there. That's all he's looking to do. And, um, you know, you had a chance to, to maybe beat them on the road because they're down 15 in the first quarter without white side, but yeah, just not, not enough, uh, defensive, uh, you know, efficiency from the Hornets last night. The, the heat do to your point, BG, the, the heat do as good of a job <clears throat> as any team in the NBA. I think they do the best job of any team. And this is totally a staple of Eric Spolstra, but they use every inch of space on the floor offensively. Um, they're number one in the NBA when it, when it comes to using the corner, uh, they attempt more corner threes than any, any team in the league. And man, they just, and they get their guys high on the floor in the wings, you know, elbow extended or higher than that. You know, they get them high up on the floor when they catch. So they get, you know, the guys like Deion Waiters get a little wiggle going downhill. It gets them that extra space to start their momentum downhill. Uh, and then when Olenek's out there, good grief. I mean, they are a drive and kick monster. And, you know, I got to give Charlotte a little bit of credit. I thought the Hornets did a half decent job of staying with Miami off the dribble last night. But when it, when a team is using both corners the way they are, and then they have two guys, when a Linux in there, it, yeah, two guys high as well outside of the paint. I mean, it's hard to ask your team defensively to, you know, be on the ball level. So let's say that the ball is closer to the baseline or it's a baseline drive to have defenders down the ball level. And then also, you know, account for guys at the top or vice versa, you know, be attuned to the ball coming, you know, from the top. And also be you know uh, be accounting for the guys in the corners. It, it's very very difficult. So Miami really stretches you uh, defensively and makes you cover more space to me than any team in the league. And I think the Hornets again. I think they did a decent job last night. Um, they actually took away the corner from Miami pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they they only it was under thirty uh, percent of their offense came from that corner area, which is pretty good for as much as they use it. Uh, Miami that is. 
Another note that I want. Oh, yeah, this is where I had in this second quarter areas where I had yeah. my. Yep. But when the but, starters but, come back in. Yep. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's. I mean, this starting unit just doesn't. It just it obviously doesn't have enough zip offensively, but. Yeah, I don't know. Defensively, they're crumbling too in these past two games, more than the second unit almost, uh, which is which is a little baffling. I, I I had in the note here in the second quarter with that what we just talked about is Batum. I mean, just <laughs> his defensive effort is just. I, I mean, I don't. Know, it's just not good enough. It's it's just not it's not good enough to to be in the NBA. I I, I mean, I mentioned this with Nate Duncan in the Horns preview this year. I was like. He was like, are we at the point to where we're going to say you, you just got to survive with Batum on the floor? You just got to hide him defensively? I was like, yeah, to me, I think so. I mean, just watch him play. I mean, he doesn't move his feet, doesn't get in a stance, doesn't help, doesn't help the helper, doesn't rebound. Like, what what does Nick Batum do defensively that helps our team? And that's probably part of the reason why he's not a big factor on the defensive rebounding side because he's not in a stance. So he's just going to be upright at all times. Mm-hmm. And if you're not in a stance defensively, uh, it makes boxing out, uh, you know, 100 times harder. So, yeah, the effort, attention to detail, like you say, Spencer, Spencer is just not there for him. I, I feel like I haven't really noticed him, you know, offensively, defensively, now that he's back with the team. I feel like he's just like another player. Yeah, team. I thought he had one good offensive game, and it was the first game back against Cleveland. Uh, I thought he was. I thought he was pretty sharp in the half court on in that game, uh, cutting off the ball and stuff like that. But really, other than yeah. that, I agree, Richie. He's just been MIA out there. I, I just want to understand what we're gaining from him, you know, as a player, not just constantly be negative because Batum Batum does have a you know he has a special skill set. He he's a very unique kind of player, but you know I, the thing that frustrates me most just with, with players on any level is just watching them and seeing a last percent of effort and I think you see that very very consistently with him I mean this dates back to when he started playing here in Charlotte and we actually got to have eyes on him as a player consistently so I I don't know I it he's very skilled he's very skilled but he's lazy in everything that he does you know what I mean like I feel like on the offensive end too just lazy passes he just assumes that his skill is going to take over on those passes. And a lot of times, especially in Miami, I, I took a note of it in the first quarter. Uh, he had like two passes right off the bat that were just so poorly directed towards Dwight. So it's one of those things where he just assumes it's going to get there because he's such a skilled player. And we have three more. See, like this is one of the, this is going to end up being one of the worst contracts in the league. Maybe, maybe in the league. Maybe that could be accurate. And we've got he he is going to be the longest tenured Hornet. As of right now, moving forward, is anybody else on the roster? You know, that's not counting, you know, a possible Kimba extension, but it's just we got three more seasons of this, and I just, I don't know, like, I just watch him as a player. I don't know what improves. You know what I mean? Like, at his age, I mean, he's, he's about to be 29 years old. He's not, there's, he's not gaining any juice on, the, on either side of the floor. He seems to be declining to me, especially on the defensive end, like I just, it's, it's depressing to know what we're paying much longer. And I think that's when you, you watch it and you see the effort level, that's what makes it more maddening. Certainly. I think this is something that Portland fans were kind of, were kind of taking note of. I think they were kind of rolling their eyes when they saw, saw Charlotte hit him with this, with this big contract, which by the way, at the time, myself included, and I can even remember listening to to Nate Duncan's show that night. His 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 uh his like live or maybe it was just a podcast. I don't think he was doing a live show, but listening to Nate Duncan's podcast that night. I don't think I actually don't think I slept at all that free agency night. I was watching the Vertical show and listening to Nate's pod and stuff like Nate's podcast and stuff like that. Everyone thought this deal was a great deal for the Hornets, though. You know, uh, at least at the time. I, I mean, I, a lot of people, and, and I, again, I'm including myself in that. Thought the Hornets had to had to sign Batum and you know, he took, he could have even gotten more money out of Charlotte, which is kind of amazing to think that he, he took a, you know, over the course of the contract of what, 20, $25 million, $30 million sort of pay cut, which is, I mean, yeah, it's all relative, I suppose. But, uh, would also like to point out to when the starters did check back in, in the second quarter, this was a rough stretch here for Dwight Howard. Dwight mm-hmm. had what, nine turnovers last night. And, Eight of them came in a stretch of two minutes of playing time. So here's the scenario. Second quarter, Hornets are up 43 to 38. Dwight checks back in at the 440 mark. 
uh, immediately a three-second violation, turnover. Next possession, offensive rebound, misses a one-foot layup. Possession after that, three-second violation, turnover number two. The next possession after that, offensive foul, turnover number three. Uh, two possessions later, bad pass, turnover number four. The possession after that, another offensive foul, charge, turnover number five. He subbed out at 2.09. So, again, two and a half minutes of play, five turnovers. Charlotte scores zero points in this stretch. Miami goes on a 7-0 run. And according to Unpredictable, which is a win probability calculator, the Hornets at the start of the stretch had a 58% chance of winning this game. At the end of it, a 47% chance of winning this game. So an 11-point swing in win probability over the course of two and a half minutes, all while Dwight was short-circuiting on the court. And yeah, that's just, I, again, I like the, the fancy box score stats Dwight puts up too. And he had some good post-up possessions, especially on Olenek in this game. But we talk about winning plays and him not making winning plays. And this was a stretch where you just, on, on the road, on a team that's missing its best, that's also missing its best player, you just can't have that kind of basketball. It's inexcusable. Excellent, excellent stuff, BG. Um, you know, I we weren't going to get out of this episode without talking about it. You laid it out perfectly. You said everything that really needs to be said. Um, I, I hope that Hornets fans becomes, you know, I mean, everyone, we should all become smarter basketball player or basketball fans and watchers of the game by, by watching Dwight Howard and watching him have his good games, which last night wasn't one of those, but then also understanding not a winning basketball player. You cannot win with this guy. You you cannot do it. I, I'm sorry. I, I am not coming off of that opinion or that stoop. It's not going to happen. The Hornets are not going to win with him playing these minutes. They're not going to win with him throwing the ball into him as many times. That he cannot get over himself. He can't get past a mistake. He he can't stay in the game and not get wrapped up in a you know, a slap boxing fight with one other player or, or the officials picking on him or whatever he thinks it is. He, he cannot do it mentally. I, I'm not saying he's not a smart person. I'm not saying he's not capable, but he has chosen throughout his career. And especially at this point to not do it. it nothing's going to change. He is he, not going to be a winning basketball player ever again. We saw did, it. For, yeah, go ahead. He, he had Dragic in the face twice in this stretch. He got away with the first one back, and did it back, again. It was like, back, to, back to back possessions right after he child. got called for it. Yeah. Like, you, you, what, what is it? Like, you are 30. How old is he? 32 years old? Probably, yeah. Probably somewhere okay. in that. Yeah, 32. I, mean, I think 31. That, that's the exact note I had. It's like you just did it and got called for it. We, <laughs> we come back down the floor and you do the exact same thing. And then you la- you have this stupid little oh, but it's contagious. His laugh and his his comical nature. Remember, it's contagious. What? Like yeah, it's contagious that he can't get over himself, and he hurts the team. That's what's contagious. I'm tired of hearing Dwight Howard's smile and his laugh and his you know, his lightheartedness is a positive. Stop, please save me that garbage. Because what, what we saw last night is the, is the Dwight Howard that hurts you, Richie. When when uh when one of your students is acting up, how do you uh how do you discipline? Can you can you like give can you impart any sort of like any sort of like industry knowledge to Steve Clifford here on to how to you know how to help how to how to help someone that's maybe lacking in maturity when you have to like kind of like reel them in a little bit? Well, I ignore them when they're uh, trying to uh, seek attention, <laughs> and because that's what they want. Uh, so maybe I would take him out of the game. I hey. would ignore the fact that he's, you know, <laughs> way, you know he doing all this stuff and just keep 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 on the sidelines. He, he can be uh, he can be a jokester on the sideline. Hey, by the way, he didn't play at all in the fourth quarter last night. Oh yeah, didn't play didn't play a second in the fourth quarter last night too. Part, part, yeah, part yeah, part and you know, he had five fouls before the fourth quarter got there. BG, <laughs> but then yeah, to Clifford to Clifford's credit, um, he didn't bring him back in late. Yeah, I, R- Richie, that's a brilliant concept. Are you actually saying we should take Dwight Howard out of the game when he's hurting the basketball team? Is that what you're saying? I think that's what I'm saying. Yes, yes. Wow, I've never thought about that. That's brilliant. <laughs> Anyways, this I can't. I just can't. Like, I cannot believe I have to go through an entire season of watching this guy play basketball. I, and I look, I know f- fans get on me all the time on Twitter about giving this guy a hard time. But like, if you think that 
the good stuff that Dwight Howard's doing out there is outweighing the bad stuff, then we're just not watching the same game. We're not watching the same sport. We're not. And he's not going to help this team. He's hurting this team in more ways than one. I think if you look at the box score for Dwight Howard over the course of the season, I think, you know, up to this point, you know, he would say you, he's one of our better players. If you just look strictly at the box score, but schematically, it's changed some things. Mentally, you know, he's just not there. And uh, it's kind of changing the whole dynamic of this team when you compare it to last year. And I think that's the biggest thing. I think if you look at the box score, sure, he's putting up the numbers. And obviously last night he put up a lot of numbers in the turnover column. But yeah, it's schematically, this is just not the Hornets that we want to be. But, you know, we're stuck with him and and Clifford seems to favor him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just, yeah, I don't want to get on every single time and do this. But let's just call a spade a spade, I guess, is what I wish we could do as a, as a fan base and as an organization more often. It's just like Hornets PR. If you, if you can't say it how it is and just stop with the Dwight Howard stuff, please, please just stop. Batum earlier, uh, just, I did pull it up so far this season. He's played eight games. He's averaging just over 27 minutes per game, taking field 10 field goal attempts. He's shooting 37% from the field He's shooting 22% from behind the arc on about four and a half uh, attempts per game. His assists are way down, uh, down two so far from last season. He's averaging just shy of four assists a game and right at two turnovers a game. So so our eyes are certainly not deceiving us. Nick Batoon off to a not good start here. Well, I mean, to your point, Spencer, I don't think that he pairs well with Dwight. And, and for yeah. him to get these assists, I think the pick-and-roll game that he had with Cody Zeller over the past couple of years uh, was very beneficial in kind of upping those assists. So I'm not going to put it all on Batum. I mean, I think Batum has not been impressive so far this season. But also, I think that the fact that he's not playing with Cody enough uh, is definitely a factor into the fact that his assists are kind of on the way down. Yeah, and it should be noted, too, he's shooting under 26% on catch-and-shoot threes this year. So those sort of like wide-side pin-downs that Charlotte loves to run, it's just not working. And he was 35% on those looks last season and 37% two seasons ago in his first year in Charlotte. So way down on on the catch-and-shoots. Again, fairly small sample with him because he hasn't played that much this year. But that's that's part of Charlotte's offense. And without Kemba in there, you you know, they, they would need they need a little bit more juice from him um, in the three-point game, and it's just not, yeah, it's just, it's just not happening. No, just one more thing. I had him with him. He's still, he's still coming off those, you know, pin downs. His pin down, almost dribble handoff actions, and looking for like that foul. Like he's, ju- he's, fl- you know, plunging himself towards the rim, like he just got punched in the back and throwing the ball at the rim. Of course, he's not getting that call as much this year because it's a point of emphasis in the NBA. But like. So much of what he is as a player coming off those those pin downs, his dribble handoffs are, are still like built into this idea that he's going to try to draw the foul with the guy on his hip. It's like I just I don't enjoy watching basketball players that that try to soak that out of the officials consistently and they're not calling it. It's, yeah, it's, exactly. Yep. So like it's not working. That's obviously affecting him. And it's just kind of been a spiral effect so far for Nick Batoon this season. All right, let's uh, let's spend the rest of the episode here talking about just kind of where the Hornets are. Eight and thirteen, five games below five hundred here on December the second. Um, not a good place to be, uh, Richie. Let's let's start with you. So, like on that panic meter, where where do you actually stand right now? One to ten, ten being the most panicked. Uh, about really where this team is going. And then as we stand here today uh, at 8-13, and 13, what is your prediction is, uh, with where the right. Hornets will finish the year? Well, my, my panic meter is at a 10 only because I know that we're going to keep on pushing for this playoffs. So mm-hmm. in a combination with the fact that we're sitting out of the playoffs right now, I'm kind of content to the fact that we're probably not going to make the playoffs. If I had to put a percentage on it, maybe 15% that we're going to actually make the playoffs. And I actually think that's kind of high uh, with the way that we're playing right now. So my panic meter is 10, and partial of that is because I think that we're going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing for this playoffs. And not only is it going to not really accomplish anything this year, but it might affect some things moving forward. So, yeah, I would say 10 on the panic meter because of our play, but also because of our front office. Yeah, I'm – I'm, I don't know if I'm quite out of 10. I'm, I'm up there. I'm maybe in the like the eight and a half, nine range. 
talk to me in four weeks from now. And, and, and if, if things haven't, you know, are, are basically the same, Richie, I'll be joining you at the, uh, the, the 10 or maybe even, maybe even sooner than that. Uh, five thirty-eight is still somehow it's still giving the Hornets a 42% chance of making the playoffs. That seems awfully generous. I, I think that's, they, they still have the Hornets as a 39 win team. Uh, again, I think that's generous and it's just maybe sort of, um, undervaluing the Eastern conference a little bit, which has turned out to be better than we probably thought it was going to be. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of mentioned this at the end of episode 45. And, and I think Richie, this is maybe what you were hitting on a little bit here, which is that if this team is going to go pedal to the metal and try to make the playoffs, cause they don't want to miss back-to-back seasons or three out of four years after the rebrand or, or whatever, um, that it would cause them to make a short-term move in terms of roster construction. And that is the thing that scares me a little bit because the Hornets, you know, they don't owe anything out to anybody uh, in, in terms of in ter- really in terms of picks and they, they own all their first round picks. That's great. But they also don't, you know, they're not the Celtics. They're not, they're not what the Nuggets used to be. They don't own this treasure chest of assets and they can't just be given up a pick or whatever, or something like that to get a guy that might help the team a little bit in the, uh, the near, in the, the, the short term future. So that concerns me. And if you start, if we start hearing their name mentioned in trade wins for picking up, you know, a rotation guard or something like that, then I'm going to start all immediately jump up to a level 10 right. because um, this team needs to be able to see the forest through the trees a little bit more. And that is problematic because Ownership has not always had those goals in mind. And in terms of where we are with Rich Cho and Steve Clifford's contracts, it makes me a little queasy. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I would, I'd say my panic meter is probably about seven and a half. I think that the next 12, so, so 10 of the next 12 games for Charlotte are at home. So I, I think that if that 12 game stretch, you know, Charlotte can go, Eight and four, you know, nine and three. If, if things really fall the right way, I think you're, you know, you're right back to where you have a manageable season in front of you and, and can still battle. And, and if everything falls right, get into the middle of the Eastern Conference in terms of playoff standings. Now, if you go 500 in that stretch or, or worse, I think that as Brian was kind of saying, you know, seeing, you know, really seeing through the fog here and being able to evaluate where we are as a franchise in this exact moment and what we want to be moving forward, you know, that scenario of 500 or worse in these next 12 games, really um, there are going to have to be some tough decisions made because that takes you up to the point where well, it takes you really up to new year's. Uh, you got a month before the trade deadline, I, you know, I think at that point you have to understand you're not going to do any better than seventh or eighth. And that's considering if things really go right for you, because the East might not have a playoff team too far under 500, if that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's all interesting. I think these next 12 games are the Hornet season to me, uh, 10 of the next 12 at home. And I mean, you look at the, some of the opponents at home, I mean, uh, Golden State is the only game that I would really say we're not going to win. The rest of the home games, Toronto, Milwaukee, New York, Portland, Miami, Los, the Lakers, Chicago, Orlando, like they're all winnable. There's not a, a, a game on there, maybe Toronto, but I mean, there is a real opportunity for the Hornets to go eight and four or nine and three in this next 12 game stretch. And, you know, I, I think if, we can get Kimba back. Um, why not? You know, and, and then we're back at uh, just above 500. But again, if it doesn't go that way, then yeah, panic meter would be on 10 because I don't trust the people making the tough decisions. And remember oh, that, yeah. that, trade de- that trade deadlines earlier this year too, February 8th, 3 PM. So you've got, once that calendar flips to 2018, you got four or five weeks max to, to kind of figure out what you're going to do leading in, leading in and, and out of the deadline. So yeah, there's gonna there might be the next two months are gonna be really interesting for the Hornets in terms of are they a playoff team or you know what if they aren't a playoff team then what are they instead and and some tough decisions may have to be made uh, in Charlotte. 
Exactly right. So, you know, as negative as we have been here, here today, and well, me, I should take most of that blame. I was very negative today. Sorry, fans. I uh, <laughs> hope you'll come back and listen to us again. I, I just get a little enamored with, with seeing through the fog as, as uh, maybe that's the name of this episode, Richie, or, yeah. or seeing through the force, pick, pick which one uh, you like more, but um, the force can be foggy too, Spencer. It can be yeah, a fog. You know what I mean? We just, we just, <laughs> We just want to we want to find the truth. We want to talk about the truth. You know, we, we don't want to talk about what makes people feel better uh, because because that's not that's not how progress is made. So, anyways, but these next twelve games, I, I think this is the Hornets' season. I think it's a very important stretch, and the Hornets can certainly move the needle in the right direction uh, in this stretch coming up to them. Which again will take us up to well, it's exactly will take us up to December twenty seventh, uh, the end of that ten of twelve at home. And then they go on a West Coast swing to take them into the new year. So it's got to happen. It's got to happen now. All right, guys, let's get out of here. Uh, BG, it's it was great as always. Uh, enjoy the ACC championship game tonight. Uh, I think it's 8 p.m. And again, Sports Channel 8 has got you covered. I, I know they'll be covering it, all the pregame stuff today. So you know, make sure you're following at Sports Channel 8 on Twitter and check out them at, or excuse me, sports channel com. They got you covered for ACC basketball as we're getting ready to dive into that as well. We are a proud member of the almighty baller radio network. Make sure you check out almightyballer.com for tons of other great content. As always, we thank you guys for listening. Uh, connect with us on Twitter, offer us questions, disagree with us, agree with us. Um, and, and just, again, thanks for coming back and listening to us. You, you guys make this possible and keep us going. So until next time, go Hornets. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.